Welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. Before I get started today, I thought I'd say a little bit about the novel coronavirus. Um, maybe your school's been canceled. Maybe you live in another country and things have been canceled for even longer than this. Um, but uh, my kids are off school for a little while. And um, the news can sometimes sound a little scary. And honestly, there's not a whole lot I can do about it except wash my hands and stay home. So I am doing those things. I wash my hands a lot. Gotta use lotion because the water, all the washing is starting to make them dry out. I thought maybe uh, I'd mention this movie. Have you maybe have seen Frozen 2? It's really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, but a sad thing happens in the movie and a character sings a song about doing the next right thing. So I was thinking about the day, that today and about how when life is scary, um, Maybe that's all we could do is the next right thing. And um, I don't have any big world saving things to do. But for me, the next right thing has been uh, wash my hands. I exercised a little inside. I got my kids to exercise. We did some math. Um, and uh, I cried a little because I was nervous. And when I get nervous, I cry. Uh, and then um, I played a video game. And I am going to record this episode, and then I'm going to make dinner. Um, so I, I know that this podcast isn't a big world-changing thing, but I think it's a bright spot in some people's weeks sometimes. And um, if I can keep doing that, I'll keep doing that. Um, if you think I sound a little froggy, it's not a sickness. It is just allergies. This is like bad allergy season right now. Uh, and now, finally the episode. So when we left off last episode, Jesus had been staying with his good friends Lazarus and Mary and Martha in the town of Bethany, which is just outside Jerusalem. So on Sunday morning, uh, Jesus was ready to enter Jerusalem. He sent two of his disciples ahead of the rest of the group, and he told them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. To untie it and bring it to me and if anyone says hey what are you doing with that donkey just say the lord needs it and we'll bring it back soon so they went and they found a donkey tied to a post just as jesus had said and they took it and the bible doesn't say if anyone accused them of stealing the donkey but jesus was pretty famous and popular and i assume he did have them return it later so maybe it worked out anyway they brought the donkey to jesus and he rode the donkey into jerusalem you may be asking, why is this such a big deal for him to ride a donkey? Well, apparently in ancient times, my husband wrote this, I actually didn't know it. In ancient times, when a king was riding home in a time of peace, he would ride a donkey. But if it was wartime, he would ride a horse because horses were the animals trained to fight in wars. You've got to have an animal trained, otherwise it'll spook and that's dangerous. Anyway, a lot of Jesus' followers were hoping he would come into Jerusalem and rally all the people to fight against the Romans and kick them all out and become king. But by riding the donkey, he was giving a signal that he did not intend to start a war. Well, I'm not sure if the crowds of people understood that Jesus was coming in peace, but they definitely seemed to understand that he was coming as a king, and they were all about that. King Herod was not popular among common folk. A whole bunch of people took off their cloaks and spread them on the road so Jesus' donkey could walk on them. 
And um, it was like a sign of respect. And people cut branches off of nearby trees and laid them in the road for his path. It was practically a parade with Jesus and his disciples coming into Jerusalem with huge crowds in front of them and huge crowds behind them. And the crowds were shouting, I can't talk today. And the crowds were shouting Hosanna, which is from a Hebrew word that means save. It was most commonly used as a prayer for God to save his people. There were people shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Hosanna to the son of David. You remember that Jesus was descended from David, and that was also supposed to be true of the Messiah. When Jesus and the crowds came into the city with this loud parade, the people who lived in Jerusalem took notice and asked, Who's this? And the crowds responded, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee! Oh my gosh! Uh, Now that Jesus had finally arrived in Jerusalem, he wanted to visit the temple. The temple was the place where the people of Israel gathered to worship God together, especially during festivals like the the festival of Passover that was happening now. The first temple had been built a long time ago, a long time before that, by um, David's son, King Solomon. And it was a large, beautiful building filled with decorations made of gold and silver. But then hundreds of years after that, Jerusalem was invaded by a powerful nation called Babylon. They captured the city, they burned most of it to the ground, including the temple, and they took the Jewish people away to Babylon. Many more years later, after the Jewish people were allowed to come back and rebuild the city, they were eventually also allowed to rebuild their temple. And then later it was desecrated by the Greeks and then restored by the Maccabees. Um, and, and told about that in the, in the story of the Maccabees. Um, So the new temple, the current temple, was not as beautiful as the original temple that Solomon had built, but it was still a very special place with a lot of history. You may remember from episode 9, the story of how Jesus went into the temple and drove out the people who were selling things. That happened like three years before this story, when Jesus was just beginning to travel and appear in public. Um, Well, it seems like after he left the temple, all of the people selling things came back in. So in our story, when he arrived at the temple with massive crowds praising him, he saw that the market was back and he was not pleased. The temple was supposed to be a holy place for people to worship God, and these people were dishonoring it by turning it into a mini mall. At least, that's how the gospel story goes. So, as you might expect, he did the same thing again. Anyway, he drove out all the people who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of the people who were selling doves. And he shouted, it's written in the Bible, God's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. But y'all have turned it into a den of thieves. And they they all left because he, he chased them out. When, uh, when they had been driven out, all the people who had sicknesses and disabilities came into the temple asking Jesus to heal them. And he healed like all of them. Well, the crowds who had been following Jesus were really excited to see him kicking these people out of the temple, and they were excited to heal him, see him healing people. There were lots of kids there who thought this was pretty awesome. I mean, actually, my kids would probably love that, um, even though uh, they're they're not religious. But um, but they're all for you know kicking out people who are trying to rip people off. So they're like shouting things like "Hosanna to the Son of David!" like what people were yelling as Jesus entered the city. Um, They weren't the only people there. The chief priests and religious leaders were also there. And as we talked about in the last two episodes, most of them hated Jesus, at least according to the Gospels. The religious leaders were not happy with what he was doing, and they were irritated that these little kids were shouting praises to him. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? I guess they expect him to agree that yes, it was inappropriate for the kids to speak up. Some adults think 
children should keep quiet around grown-ups. Or maybe they thought it was a problem that they were praising Jesus. But anyway, Jesus was not one of those people. In fact, when he was 12 years old, he had come to the temple with his mom and dad and gotten separated from them. Uh, when they finally, when his parents finally found Jesus, three days later, hey, more foreshadowing, he was sitting with the religious leaders talking to them about what the Bible said, and everyone was astonished at his knowledge and wisdom. So the grown-up 33-year-old Jesus was definitely not going to tell kids to shut up in the temple. Instead, he responded to the religious leaders, Yes, I hear the children, and haven't you read the part in the Bible where it says, Out of the mouths of children and babies, God has called forth praise? I'm actually going to pause here, because I want to go back in time a few years and tell one of my favorite stories about another clash between Jesus and the religious leaders. Jesus was at someone's house, and he was teaching people there. And there was this massive, humongous crowd there, and everyone was trying to hear him, and they were packed in. And some of the religious leaders were there because they also wanted to hear Jesus, even though they were already pretty sure they didn't like him. I pictured them, you know, crossing their arms and saying, <laughs> So Jesus was teaching, and this house was completely crammed full of people. There was no room for anyone to sit down. It was absolutely packed. There was barely room to stand. These days, cities have laws about how many people can be in a building at one time, because if you have too many people and if there's like a fire or something, it's dangerous. There was no fire on this day, fortunately. Now, it just so happened there was this group of friends who had heard that Jesus had come to their town and they were very excited because one of their friends was completely paralyzed in his lower body and he couldn't move his legs at all. So his four friends were like, this is great. Jesus is here. We'll take you to him and he can heal you. Now, a lot of people back then believed that if you had some kind of disability or chronic illness, it was a sign you had done something that displeased God because they believed good things and bad things didn't just happen to people. Everything happened for a reason. So if something bad happened, you had done something bad. So a lot of people wanted nothing to do with people with disabilities, not because they thought they were contagious, but because they thought they were evil. But these four friends of this fifth friend did not believe that. They knew their buddy hadn't done anything wrong. His legs just weren't working. And they heard of a guy who could help with that. So they had their friend lying down on a stretcher. Um, and they, they picked up the stretcher. They each carried a corner of it. And they carried him to the house where Jesus was. And then they ran into a problem. A problem called they could not get into the house. They couldn't even get near the doorway because there were so many people standing outside as close to the door as they could trying to hear what Jesus was saying. So the four friends tried to get some people to move and make way so they could bring their friend in to see Jesus, but it was not happening. This was very discouraging. Here was their big opportunity to help their friend and they couldn't do it. They almost gave up, but one of them had an idea. During this time period, houses in Galilee usually had some steps on the outside built into the wall that led up to the roof, which was made of clay. Then they could, you know, people could chill out on the roof. Why don't we take them up to the roof, the friend said. And the other friends were like, well, how's that going to help? And then he, he told them the plan. So here's the scene. Jesus is inside this house talking as loudly as he can about the kingdom of God or whatever. I don't think they even give us the details in the story. And all of a sudden, pieces of clay start falling from the ceiling. The ceiling starts falling. People are like, what's going on? And as more of the ceiling falls, and everyone's kind of backing away probably, suddenly there's a big hole and daylight floods into the house. And everyone looks up and sees sees four friends looking over holding like shovels or something they're like oh yeah we got the right spot um 
And then they, they lower something into the room. Well, something and someone, a stretcher with the fifth friend lying on top of it. So people got out of the way then if they could. Like, they had to back out of the house to make room because the stretcher was coming down whether they made room for it or not. And they carefully lower their friend onto the floor right next to Jesus. That's excellent aim right there. And when Jesus saw how strongly they believed he would help, he looked at the friend on the stretcher and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, <laughs> that's not what we were expecting you to say, Jesus. Shouldn't you know? Shouldn't you, you know, heal the guy? What good is forgiving his sins going to do? Well, I think my theory is maybe Jesus said that because he knew that a lot of people were bigots. He knew that a lot of people thought the guy on the stretcher was evil for no other reason than just because his legs didn't work. And Jesus believed himself to be the son of God, and he wanted to make it clear that God had no problem with this guy. As you can guess, the religious leaders had a problem with Jesus not having a problem with this guy. They believed strongly that bad things happened to people because they had done bad things. At least that's what the Gospels indicate, not necessarily the historical reality. But anyway, in these stories, that's what it's like. And the religious leaders didn't like Jesus acting like he could just declare people free of sin. So they said to each other, does Jesus think he's God? Only God can forgive sins. Jeez. And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he was, he was good at that. So he asked them, uh, why does this bother you? I have authority on earth to forgive sins, but talk is cheap. Anyone could say that. So I'll prove it to you by healing this man. So then he said to the man on the stretcher, get up, take your stretcher and go home. And instantly his legs were healed. And uh, he got up and he took his stretcher and he pushed his way out of the house. Um, and everyone in the house started talking at once. And they were like, uh, we've never seen like this before. What's happening? And some were saying, praise God. And up on the roof, the four friends who'd brought their friend were probably hugging and high-fiving. And then they went and caught up to their friend. And they all strolled off into the sunset together, arm in arm. Um, anyway, so that story maybe kind of shows Jesus is not just an innocent teacher who said things like, be nice to each other. Uh, it's more complex than this. Um, but one reading, one way you could understand it, is he wanted to change things to overturn the structures of power in society and, and change the view of poor and disabled people. Of course, on the other hand, the Jesus in the Gospel of John also wanted to basically start a cult he'd be the leader of as the son of God, which would also upset the current social structure, incidentally. Whether you see Jesus as some sort of early socialist um, or, or a cult leader, uh, the character was definitely stirring up change. And that's why the religious leaders who had a lot of power hated him so much. Because the kind of change would have been a threat to their power. Again, uh, that's the story presented in the Gospels. Because a, a lot of religious leaders, well, there were those kinds, but there were also the ones who agreed with Jesus' philosophy that disabled people are not evil and um, you should pay your workers fair wages, etc., etc. Like, that's literally one of the things Jesus talked about. Also, an important topic in our world today. But back to the story we're telling about Jesus in Jerusalem. It was still a few days before the big Passover feast was going to begin. Jesus and his disciples, like most of the people, uh, had come to Jerusalem early. Over the next few days, Jesus continued to come to the temple and teach the people about God. You'll remember that the religious leaders, especially Caiaphas, the high priest, were trying to find a way to have Jesus killed, but they couldn't do it because he was always in a public place surrounded by crowds of people, many of whom loved him and considered him a great prophet, maybe a king. In the evenings, when Jesus and his disciples left the temple, they seemed to fade into the crowds and vanished. They were the religious leaders were trying to find an opportunity to arrest Jesus when he was away from the crowds, but so far they couldn't figure out where he was. 
In the meantime, they figured the best thing they could do was try to get Jesus to say something that would get him in trouble, either with the people so the people wouldn't like him anymore, or with the Romans who ruled Judea so that he'd be in trouble with the government. So while he was teaching the people, some of the religious leaders would come up to him and speak to him public, publicly, hoping they could trap him into saying something unpopular or illegal. In particular, they hoped they could get Jesus to claim to be God, which the Jewish scriptures called blasphemy, and which was a big no-no. So some of the priests came up to Jesus and asked him in front of the crowds, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? They were hoping he would claim God's authority as his own. Jesus, however, understood what they were trying to do. He did, in fact, believe himself to be the son of God, as Peter had already said, but he also believed it wasn't time to reveal that, so he simply avoided the trap the religious leaders were setting. He responded to them, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will answer your question. You know how John the Baptist baptized people in the river? Did his baptism come from God or was it just from humans? And the religious leaders huddled up to discuss how they should answer this question. One of them pointed out, we didn't support John the Baptist while he was alive. So if we say his baptism came from God, then Jesus will just say, why didn't you listen to him? But if we say there was nothing special about his baptism, then the people could get angry at us because they believed John was a prophet. Jesus didn't just avoid the leaders trapped. He turned it into a trap for them. They were afraid to take either side. So they answered, Jesus, our answer is, we don't know. And Jesus responded, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Well, Jesus had won that round, but the religious leaders soon came back with more ideas to try to get him to say something unpopular. They sent some of their students to Jesus with a question about taxes. You remember that the Jewish people were living under the control of the Roman Empire? That meant they had to pay taxes to Caesar, the Roman emperor. They had to send a bit of their money far away across the sea to Rome, where it would be used to make the Roman Empire even stronger. As you can imagine, most Jewish people hated paying taxes to Caesar. They were loyal to their god, not some foreign leader who worshipped other gods. Some of them believed they should refuse to pay taxes to Rome, although if they did, it might mean the Roman soldiers would come and find them and either force them to pay or throw them in prison. So the religious leaders thought they had an opportunity to trap Jesus in a question about taxes. They told their students to flatter Jesus before they asked the question, so maybe he'd let his guard down. So the students came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity, and you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you know, pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? As you might expect, their flattery didn't fool Jesus. He said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So someone brought him a Roman coin. You know how our coins, like our quarters and stuff, has pictures of famous American leaders on them, like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln? Well, Roman coins have the picture of Caesar, the emperor, on them. So Jesus held up the coin and asked the religious students, whose picture is this and whose inscription is on this coin? And they said, uh, it's Caesar's. And he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God, which was a neat way of sidestepping their question. And they were like amazed at how slick it was. So they decided they were done asking him questions because he was really hard to trap. So they left. 
There's actually like a lot of other conversations between Jesus and the various religious leaders during this part of the gospel. You might be interested in reading those for yourself. But next week, we're going to skip ahead to Thursday of this Passover week. Jesus had come into Jerusalem on Sunday, and he had spent several days mostly in the temple area teaching and healing people and sparring with the religious leaders. Soon it was time for the end game of his great plan. Um... My spouse wrote the word great there. I don't mean if, I don't know if he means his wonderful plan or his really massive kind of epic plan, because that's probably more uh, how it goes. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's a plan, dudes. It's a plan. So uh, tune in next week to find out how it all goes down. Thank you for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music for now is Darkest Child by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child. And wash your hands and stay safe and take care of each other. Bye. <laughs>